Let's bow our heads for a little prayer before I begin. Dear kind Heavenly Father, we ask you now to open up the scriptures in our minds, that we might take them in, that we might understand, and you will bless us as we do. Help us to know who you are, and that it will thrill our hearts, and we will gather close to you and draw near. So bless us through this time as we open your word. Help us to understand and grasp, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were young, my brother had a certain ability to find things. He had collections of things that he found. He had arrowheads. He had keys, baseball cards, rocks, all sorts of things. But there was one thing that both of us collected. We worked on it together, and that was pennies. We had these little blue books that opened up, and you could fold them open, and they had holes you could store your pennies in order of the dates that they were made. And starting with the year 1909, and each year after that, the date was stamped on each penny, and sometimes the date was followed by a little letter in the corner, letter D. If the penny was minted in Denver, Colorado, sometimes the date was followed by the letter S if the penny was minted in San Francisco. So we carefully examined every penny we could get our hands on in order to fill up our penny collection book. And there were books for collecting nickels and quarters. But if we ever got our hands on a nickel or a quarter, they were far too valuable to put in a book. <laughs> Those got spent. But pennies were very collectible. And there were certain pennies that were very rare. During World War II, the government was using all the copper for the war effort, and so they minted pennies out of steel in 1943. Back 60 years ago, you still got those steel pennies in your chains from the grocery store or the hardware store. So it was every penny came under careful scrutiny, and if it was one for our collection, we were happy to find it. Now here at our church every year for almost 30 years, we've had uh, what started out as an open house and to invite the public to visit our church. Eventually it became known as old-fashioned days as we took up an old-fashioned theme. But visitors who came to our event had their own name for what we did. They called it Penny Days because we sold everything from ice cream to hot dogs to lemonade to candy for one penny. And it seems people were sort of baffled at our charging one penny for everything we sold. So they were always suggesting reasons as to our penny price. <laughs> now the real reason we did it was to communicate to people that money isn't everything. There are things more important than money. But some people just couldn't accept the idea that we were just being nice. <laughs> And one lady finally said, I got it figured out. I know what they're up to over at East Shelby Church. They collect all those pennies, and then they check the dates to see if they can find valuable pennies so they can make money on those pennies. 
Now, Carol Mickey, our treasurer, said that'll be the day that she examined coffee cans full of pennies just so she might find one that might be worth 10 cents. <laughs> no, nobody wants to examine pennies anymore. They're tired of all that. But in our text today, we find Jesus himself is carefully examining a penny. And as usual, he uses something as common as a penny to illustrate his important point. So we begin in Luke chapter 20 for our text. In Luke chapter 20 for our text, we begin at verse number 19. Luke 20, verse number 19. The chief priests and the scribes of the same hour sought to lay hands on Jesus and they feared the people, for they perceived he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him and sent forth spies that should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so they might deliver them to the, him to the power and authority of the governor. Now in Mark's gospel, we find out there was two groups of people who joined forces to trap Jesus in his words. One group was the Pharisee, who were the conservative party of that day. They wanted to get rid of all foreign influence from Israel, especially Roman influence. The other group was the Herodians, a political party that supported King Herod, who served as the king of Israel with the permission of the Romans. So there's two political enemies, the Pharisees, and the Herodians on opposite side of a political fence, but they joined forces because they both wanted to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth. Such is politics, isn't it? Principles can be abandoned if political power is at stake. And so clever men banded together, and it says they spied on Jesus carefully listening to every word in an attempt to find something he said that they could use against him. And they came up with a very clever question. And they carefully present their question to Jesus. Verse 21. And they asked Jesus, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither accepteth thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? Now notice how they try to butter him up a little. Uh, we know you only teach God's truth. And we know that no one can influence you to say anything other than God's truth. Now what they said was actually true. That was true about Jesus. Of course, they were trying to set him up in public so they could spring a trap for him in front of people who were listening. The question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Rome, or as they put it, tribute to Caesar? Now, if he says, yes, it is lawful to pay Roman taxes, then they will say, well, you can't be the true Messiah if you approve of foreign influence in Israel's government. No true Messiah would support domination of the Jewish state. But if he said, no, 
it's not lawful to pay Roman taxes, then they would go straight to Pontius Pilate and say, Jesus of Nazareth is teaching people to rebel against Roman authority. So either way, they trapped Jesus in his words. Yes, pay Roman taxes, and he's a traitor to Israel. No, don't pay Roman taxes, and he's a troublemaker who's defying Roman authority. Either way, they've got him right where they want him. We'll have him trapped, they thought, by his own words. Yes, it was a clever scheme, but Jesus is way ahead of them. Verse 23, And he perceived their craftiness, and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. Now Jesus said, Show me a penny. It was actually, maybe in our money, a 50 cent piece. Probably a silver coin. And notice Jesus doesn't have one in his pocket. <laughs> no, not even a penny in his pocket. So they go and they hand him a coin. And he looks at the coin. And he says, you're just trying to trip me up, I know. But here's my question to you. Whose image and whose name is on this coin? Well, it was a Roman coin, probably minted in Rome. It had become the coin of the realm. That is, used in all business transactions and all trade. And more to the point, the only coin acceptable for paying your taxes. Israel had their own coins that they made called shekels. But Roman tax collectors wouldn't accept a shekel when you paid your taxes. You had to pay Roman taxes with Roman coins. Now some clever craftsmen had hand-carved a very good likeness of Tiberius Caesar and used it to make a mold. And molten silver was poured into that mold to make silver coins with Caesar's head printed on the coin. So Jesus, holding up the coin, after he looks at it himself, says, whose image is this? And they answer, well, Caesar, of course. And then he answers the unanswerable question, verse 25. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. If Caesar's image is on the penny, and it came from Caesar, therefore give to Caesar, says Jesus, what belongs to Caesar. Now that answered their question, and that shut him up for good. And that was all he had to say to win that argument. But you must remember something about Jesus. He's not interested in simply winning an argument. That never was what Jesus was all about. It was Jesus' purpose to teach truth, and especially truth about God. 
So yes, he wins the argument by saying, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but then he will teach them some valuable truth. Also, he said, don't forget, render to God what belongs to God. Not only did he win the argument, he stunned them with his answer so that they were amazed that he actually avoided the trap and at the same time shamed them in front of the people. So today, will you consider with me part two of Jesus' answer? Give to God the things that belong to God. What was Jesus trying to explain to us when he said, give to God the things that belong to God. Now first, consider with me the idea that all things are made with a specific purpose. A fish has gills so he can breathe under the water. And a fish has fins so he can move through the water. Now you toss that fish on the shore, and we have that old adage, he flops around like a fish out of water. <laughs> he was made to live in the water. Or, consider with me that tree swallow over there that lives in that box over there. The bird that makes his nest in that box right over there. He's light as a feather, as they say. That is, his bones are hollow. So he doesn't weigh much at all. And he has wings. And he dives and he swoops through the air. There he goes right now. Flying by. He can fly with great precision and speed. He was made to be in the open air. If you look behind me in one of the buildings over there. The apple barn. There's a hole under the building. Dug by a woodchuck. He's got very sharp claws, and he can dig a hole quickly and easily. And he makes underground tunnels, and he lives much of his life under the ground. He comes up to eat your garden every once in a while, but then he goes back under the ground. He was made to live underground. So everything that God created has a special purpose. A fish in the water, a bird in the air. A woodchuck underground. But Jesus has used a phrase, and his words are very exact. He's a wonderful communicator. And you notice he says, whose image is on the coin? So if a fish was made for the water, and if a bird was made for the air, then the question is, what are you and I made for? Now remember, Jesus' words are exactly perfect. Whose image is on the coin? And now, why were you made? What was your purpose? Right in the beginning of the book we call the Bible is a very important verse. Listen to what it says. Genesis chapter 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. 
Male and female created he him. So, whose image is on the penny? Caesar's, of course. And whose image is stamped on you? You were made in God's image. That is, there is a certain likeness between God and us. There's a certain similarity. Like Caesar's image stamped on the coin, God's image is stamped on you and me. And you say to me, Eric, but we're not God. No, you're not. Of course, that's true. Very true. But we have certain likeness to God. We are aware of ourselves. We can say, I am, I'm here, I exist. Not like God says I am. God says I am that I am, or I exist because of myself. You and I can say, yes, we exist only because God made us. That's why. We are also like God because we can love. We have the capacity to love like God does. Now, we have the ability to love. A child loves his mother because she cares for him and needs him. She loves him and he returns the love. Later on, that young boy meets a young girl and his heart beats a little bit faster because he falls in love. And if he's lucky, that young girl falls in love with him. And love makes a bond. It makes a relationship. And it's strong enough to say, till death do us part. Because we were made in God's image, we have the capacity to love like God loves. So we were created in God's image with a certain likeness to God. Now, the question is, why were we created? What's our purpose? Listen to the purpose described in the book of Revelations. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The purpose for our existence was to give God pleasure that's why we exist now my friends you better believe me when i say the world is full of people who don't give god one ounce of pleasure if anything they only make him sad at work i handle a lot of coins occasionally i get a coin that's all covered in something sticky and gooey Something kind of black, some nasty substance is all over the coin, and you can't even see the image on the coin. So it is with people. They get covered with something black, and it sticks to them, and it hides the image of God. It's sin that sticks to us. It's sin that hides God's image in us. And when we're covered it, we fail to accomplish the purpose 
for which we were made. My friends, God made men and women so he could enjoy them. God made Adam and Eve, and it said in the book of Genesis that every evening he came and walked with them in the cool of the evening through the Garden of Eden. He wanted to walk with us. He wanted to talk with us. He wanted to tell us that we were his own. He loved us, and he made us so we could love him back. My friends, you were made to love God back. It's the very purpose you exist. It's the reason you are alive. And like the fish in the water, and like the bird in the air, you will be most at home when you love God and when you serve Him. And when in your mind the reason you exist is to please God and to love Him and to serve Him. Here is a simple fact, my friends. Only when you do the things that you were made to do will you ever find peace and comfort and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in your life. So Jesus said, Give to God the things that belong to God. You have God's image stamped on you. You will never be at rest until you give your life to God. So fulfill your destiny. Serve God. That's what you were created to do. Now he knows you've got some sticky stuff on you. And he loved you so much that he died so you could get all that sticky stuff washed off. He died so you could feel in your heart just how much he loved you. And then to respond to his love by loving him back. Now someday, when we get to heaven, the promise is this. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God's image, although once tarnished here on earth as we live down here, was made to shine in heaven. And free from all evil influences, we will never make him sad again. My suggestion is, as much as possible, start that right away. Let's do our best to please Him. And so doing become all we were created to be. My, didn't Jesus teach us a lot when He looked carefully at a penny, huh? May God bless you as you learn to do the things that please Him. As you find out the reason you were created was to please God. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Help us that we might be wise and recognize the reason we're here and see in it a purpose for our lives. We know you created us so you could love us and draw near to us. And help us to do that, that we might be part of that great desire in God's heart and that great plan that we might make ourselves what we ought to be and what we were created to be, that we wouldn't be a fish out of water, but that we might be what we were meant to be. Help us, Lord, to trust you with all our heart.
draw near to you that we might know who you are. We thank you that we can render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but most of all that we give to God the things that belong to God. Bless us as we do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Finish up with a song here. Draw me nearer. Stand together with us, if you would. It's on your bulletin, the front of your bulletin. Draw me nearer, blessed Lord. you have loved us so, that your love for us is deep and abiding, that you have cared for us so much that you have created us with your image on us. Lord, we know we often come to you as sinful creatures. We have that black on us, the things which we are ashamed of, and we know that even more so that you can forgive us and the depth of your love and mercy can wash away our sin and we thank you for that and we pray for that, that our hearts would be ready and that we would bear your image once again, shining and bright, so that all the world might know that you are our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that we have, were able to do that and we pray that we would walk in fellowship with you. We ask, Lord, for your safety and protection on all these people in this place as they go from here and come back. We, Lord, we ask for your special hand on us, safety and protection, we pray, for all of these things and all of these folks here. In your name, amen. <laughs>